0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Kush with Room Now. This is the Room Now podcast. Today, an interview with Dr. Alvin Wells on the current state of telemedicine.
1: Which patient characteristics do you rely on to inform your choice of treatment? An exploratory study that looked at Aurensia abatacept and a TNF inhibitor may provide some insights. Don't treat in the dark. Visit AurensiaData.com.
0: Hey, Alvin, how are you doing? Fine, Jack, how are you? Good to be with you today. Yeah, so Alvin and I go way back. Alvin is the director of rheumatology at Aurora Health in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, I know him since he was first interested in rheumatology. (laughs) The guy is amazing. You know, he's a scientist, an immunologist, a specialist in ophthalmology and also ultrasound and imaging. And he probably knows more about, you know, co-management and comorbidity management this scary dude, and, and I've asked him to come on here again to talk about telemedicine. Alvin, do you think we beat this to death, this
1: idea of telemedicine, or should we keep talking about it? I think we should keep talking about it, Jack. And I can tell you, I, I used the term last year that you know that, um, um, COVID-19 has been the fuel on the, um, the, the telemedicine fire. And now with this new Omicron variant, I mean, you, you see we're backing off on travel and everything now. Patients are all scary. They're asking me questions every day about what to do. And I know that some of our colleagues are going back to practicing like they were in the 80s. And Jack, even now, I'm, I see about 22, 25 patients a day, and I'm 40% on vir- virtual. Uh, so we see all these patients here, and that's what the goal is going to be. Uh, I want to keep that number. I want to get to about 50%. Some people come in, and some people come in virtual, but that's where I think with the, the, the place moving forward, and that's why I think many doctors should think about where they want to be. If I was writing jokes
0: for rheumatology, I'd say, why is telemedicine like the mask? And, and, and there's, not a, there's not a funny answer here. I, I think that when people listen to this, there's probably about a half to 40% of rheumatologists who are thinking just like you, doing just like you. It's another half who totally abandoned the mask and telehealth. Because when COVID started, you know, we were all worried. And I remember you were giving lots of lectures and people were writing notes down even, even before COVID. Kind of, Should I do this? I don't know. It seems really complicated. You know, camera. And, and, and all of a sudden we had to do it and we were really good at it and we certainly were able to do business for quite some time but as we've gone through the pandemic and things have kind of people are shifting and wanting to get back to normal and wanting to stop wearing the mask they've wanted to get rid of their zoom calls and you know distance virtual meetings and it's those folks actually who really have abandoned telehealth so in my big department at the university Mm -hmm. um, you know Not everybody's doing what you are two days a week or 40% or 50%. There's a lot of them have totally gone back to face to face. The question is,
1: why are they not wanting to do telemedicine? And Jack, I see the same thing. So in my department, we have 12 rheumatologists and I'm the only one that has, you know, APCs. You know, we have two nurse practitioners, two PAs and one nurse practitioner. And I'm doing, like I said, 40% of my visits. And most of my other colleagues are going back to doing everything the old days. They got 29, 30 patients waiting. That people are, you know, now not waiting in the lobby, waiting in the cars and just can't get people in. Here's what I tell you. Based on what I'm doing, I look at my numbers and we have some studies that we're doing. I'm actually seeing more new patients. Uh, At the end of the day, I hate Epic, you know, or you love it because I got all my patients I'm seeing and then I got 20 messages that I got an answer. So now instead of me wasting my time just clicking on these messages where I'm not getting any reimbursement, I have that patient to schedule a virtual visit, a telephone call, a video so I can actually go over the stuff. I can see the rash that they're having and can give more direct care. So it's allowed me to not only to continue to deliver the care, but to see more new patients and handle some of these acute uh, visits uh, that we can do those in a timely fashion. So clearly it's a it's a
0: beating when either the doctor is challenged technologically or the patients are challenged technologically. They don't have the video cam are They don't know how to set it up, you know. But the I think one of the problems is we don't help the patients get through it, you know, just like we don't teach the patients how to be good patients. So, you know, there's an investment here and setting expectations with, with patients is another challenge for us. You know, the interesting thing I've seen is um, Every dermatologist I've seen talk about the telemedicine, they hate it. They absolutely hate it, which is really interesting to me as someone who covers the literature, which has shown that digital images are great ways of making diagnoses. So what they're saying is we want to go back to the old way of doing things. Again, that's
1: all about the past and not about the future. You're totally right. And I think the same thing holds true in rheumatology. And you're right, Jack. the data shows that, you know, artificial intelligence is better than a, a board-certified dermatologist in picking up skin lesions. Uh, they're working on algorithms to pick up psoriatic lesions as, as well. So those are the kind of things we're seeing. I think some of the doctors, they, and they get on me so hey, oh, I, you can't touch the flesh. You, you can't, you know, press the flesh. You need to get all the touchy-feely. I say most of my stuff I do, I can do this by just looking at you, how you interact, and if you can't make a fist, uh, if you say you can't lift your arm out to the side, all these things are rotator cuff pathology, and then I'm relying on my blood work and my x-rays and say, hey, you need to come into the clinic next week, or no, you're doing fine, let me see you back in six months. And that's the way you do it. You can do it as more of a virtual triage. So I'm not saying they need to see every single patient by way of the video or the phone, but it's going to be some of these things that help them out. And now you see it moving forward. Like Epic, they've kind of integrated with Zoom. They've advanced what they're doing. You're seeing Google and Amazon. They're developing platforms. The world is going to change. And Jack, it's not going to be 10 years. We're talking about the next two or three years. The way you and I practice in medicine now are going to be vastly different. Let's, so let's just take, take one step back before we get into the future. And that is, I think docs
0: are worried about, I really can't get a qualitative and certainly not a quantitative assessment. I can't do it. I can't touch them. I can't do a joint exam. You know, I did um, uh, two different videos on the virtual joint exam. They've gotten thousands and thousands of views. And it's pretty simple. I call it, it's like Simon Says and the Macarena combined. (laughs) And you can pretty much, as you say, you know, with this, 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 you know, you can pretty much assess almost every joint reliably. And yeah, there's some people you can't and some people you gotta bring in. There's a lot of people you can. So how do you teach people to do quantitative and and joint exam assessments virtually?
1: And that's what we do. So first of all, I know a lot of my colleagues, even some people in my department, they look at a patient's chart. They look at the record and say, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to see that patient. So those five or 10 minutes they just spent reviewing that, they just wasted their time. They could have done that virtually. So I tell my patients the same type of thing. I say, first of all, you want to check the, the definitely to the patients, making sure your camera, your phone is turned on, is ready to go. Check it out the day before. Don't wait to 15 minutes before. Because I tell them when, the, when we connect, the link is out there. Now, in fairness, I do have a couple of patients, they try to do it, they struggle with, they can't get it on, and we turn it into a telephone call. And then that patient, I have her to come in a little sooner. Because, Jack, the way I'm doing it now, let's say I see about four to six new patients a day. This is going to sound crazy. I'll see them today. I'll see them back virtually in four to six weeks, the global lab work, global blood work. I don't see those patients back now for six to seven months. Because I've just done an exam. They're gonna be getting their blog work done. They're gonna message me through Epic. We're gonna do all of these different things we need to do. I don't need to repeat that exam in four or five weeks. And that's what the things that are talk, talking about doing. So I think educating your patients. I wish we got to like the points where the Germans are. They can, in Germany, they can write a prescription for, and the doctors can write, say, hey, we want a telemedicine packet. So we get like a mobile device, they get a blood pressure, and they get a temperature that all that's linked to the an application. And that's where we're headed. There are a couple of companies that have some things are out there now that are in beta testing, and you're going to see some more things go along with like that. So there'll be a whole packet of stuff that patients take at home with them that'll be able to interact with me and you, just like we're doing now. There was a recent report that we put on Room Now, which
0: was basically backs up everything you said. They compared usual care face-to-face versus patient on-demand telemedicine care. And once patients learn that they can connect with Dr. Wells by telemedicine, on-demand works just fine. They, If they're gotcha. in trouble, they're going to call you or they're going to come in. Um, and, exactly. and in the end, those patients did just as well with on-demand telecare with integrated face-to-face compared to usual um, doctor, rheumatologist, uh, face-to-face, periodic every three months, every six months.
1: Exactly. And I think that just the whole type of thing is that uh, you and I, when we did our training, we did all the stuff in practice, We every three months, every four months or whatever, those days are just gone. The other thing too, is some places where patients have to wait four, or six months to get into the clinic, I know that's just not sustainable. Uh, I know if I mentioned to you, I have a license in, in five different states and I mainly, mainly target the Midwest. So I have Montana, South Dakota, Illinois, Wisconsin, of course, North Carolina, so I can have a patient to see me virtually. If they can't get in to see somebody, guess what? We're available, and we can get the ball rolling because it's going to be the on-demand, what they want to be seen today, and not waiting six months to be coming in to get their joints taken care of. I think part of it is a direct-to-consumer. You're seeing ads now for psoriasis and lupus and all this stuff, and people say, hey, I want that drug because I'm not doing well, and that drives them coming into the office. So um, some docs
0: are worried about, they do see patients out of state, they don't have multiple state licenses. Um, There are some medical plans where you can see across state lines, and that's still something that's up for grabs um, legislatively. Where does that stand?
1: Uh, Still moving forward, there's one company called, it's called One License, you can apply for this one application, and it's good in 28 different states, Jack. And that's what they're doing. The question that comes up here, you need to find out, say, hey, if I'm practicing in Wisconsin, but if I'm seeing a patient in Missouri based on this plan that I'm on, will my malpractice coverage me there? And now their writers are being written to say hey we want to adapt this whole thing because I can tell you now with Omicron and they now we can't travel to March they say based on coming out of the country and that's only going to expand so they, the insurance company gonna say hey we want to keep these patients healthy so that when I do come and see me four or six months later there's not going to cause more care to take care of those patients so telemedicine is going to be they, it's going to have a, a, a virtual presence no pun intended <laughs> so
0: those who are listening are wondering, all right, these guys are jumping up and down. I don't know do Why should we do it? There's very clear data on patient satisfaction. Yeah. It, gives, it allows for better patient tracking. It allows those people who have problems coming in. I couldn't come in today because I felt sick. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Aren't I the doctor? I don't think you should come in to see me. Well, <laughs> telehealth can certainly um, fix that. And now patients, you know, they're used to going to the portal. They're used to, you know, my primary care does a telehealth visit, why don't you, Dr. Sh- Dr. Schneider, you know, and right. so why else should, should they really be holding on to and keeping that telemedicine skill set?
1: I think part of it's just like this. I think when you look at me, my average, my age, and my pop, my patient portal here is like 30 percent Medicare. So over the age of 65, I got a, a lot of a lot of young working parents, uh, you know, that can't, can't take the time off. They can go into the office and have a visit with me. It's thinking about the convenience. And I think part of the problems is doctors are thinking about just themselves and not putting themselves in the patient's shoes. If they got to pack the kids to daycare, they got to get in the car, drive, and park somewhere. That 30 minute visit turns into a two hour process. And that's what they wanted to challenge us for. And I think just to get their prescription for methotrexate refilled, or just to get their biologic renewed. I mean, I think that's where the patients really kind of struggle. And I think, like we hinted on, you're going to see some changes with all these kind of codes. And I think people worry about, hey, am I getting paid for this, et cetera? But you know, the answer is yes, you are. So, how do you um,
0: how do you train patients to do this right? I've had patients um, answer the video call under the covers. I while know driving <laughs> on the freeway while walking the dog and like, and they think it's like, hey, Dr. Wells, how are you doing? You know,
1: and they think it's one right. of those calls. So how right. do you set expectations and train them? So I'll tell you one of the things we did, we partnered with the local libraries here. So in August I had a program I said tell teach them how to do a telemedicine visit. We had 49 people came out to the library just to learn. I'm not doing it to get busy. I'm saying, hey, this is what you need to get ready for your doctor. This is the question you need to ask and how you get prepared. So they want me to take that and do it. We're going to do it in some of the other places like nursing homes and other facilities where patients will say, hey, I can't really do this. But that's one project you can do. The reason we partner with the library because some patients don't have Internet access at home. So now they put together a virtual room so they can call in. I need the room from one to one thirty. Uh, the room is sanitized. They go in now they, they got to have somebody with them to know how to get on to Epic or Cernit or whatever that is, right. but that's available for, it. and that they're paid for already. There's no extra fee to get that, go into that. They drive to the library and get it all set up, but doing these local community programs, we've done that as well. And that, that, that has been a very big for me. So we're going to do a couple of those throughout the year. Yeah. I checked that my local library around the corner has one of
0: those as well. And my, yeah, my library that I go to, uh, in Savo, Long Island. They're, they've got a, a, a virtual visit kind of setup for patients to connect with their doctors. And you schedule the visit, you go to the library and, and do that. Exactly. What, did you see anything interesting on telehealth and telemedicine at ACR? I, I'll just point out one, Vivian Bykirk had a, a poster about the um, patient CDI, where they basically let the patients do their own joint exam. They showed very good correlation between the Clinical Disease Activity Index, a standard measure using four measures, uh, and the patient's CDI done at home by the patient and uh, therefore useful in telehealth. Did you see
1: anything else that you thought was interesting? I saw that, that abstract, and that was really good. good. And the same type of things. A couple of others, are kind of generalized and grouping together, looking at can they develop other kind of apps? Uh, there are a couple of companies that show showing some data that kind of come up with some things that are used not only for rheumatology, but for like in general medicine care. We're doing a study with one of those. So you're going to see more and more of those kind of coming up. And it, it, will it be a smartphone? Will it be some other kind of device? I think the future will be. It's going to be a dedicated device that your patient will have in their home, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, and that'll be the thing they plug into the wall, they'll connect to the Wi-Fi, that'll be dedicated for the visit with the doctor. That'll be a look in their mouth, their eyes, their nose. I'll be the blood pressure, and their temperature, and that's going to be a dedicated device about the size of a, maybe a larger laptop, and, and that's what you're going to be seeing moving forward.
0: Yeah, we don't yet have the technology for sensor-based assessments that are right. going to work for uh, for us for inflammation for. Um, biomarkers for, we can do activity stuff, but, you know, um, I think, you know, with a, a, a cheapy, you know, watch, you know, like right. a dollar watch, they can monitor their sleep, they can monitor their activity and, and report that to you. That's so, correct. Um I think this is about change and continuing the change. I'm writing a, um, I, I, it's an unfinished blog on being a pro in rheumatology, not not professionalism, but being a pro. And that means like, you know, not only being like you, a leader, accessible, pragmatic, but forward thinking, but there there are certain traits that are necessary. And and a lot of them center around change. Number one, that they're prepared to adjust to the challenges that happen. They seize the opportunity. They love the challenge. Um, And it's, it's it's that attitude of seizing a challenge that takes them forward. I think that we seize the challenge back in you know March to June of twenty twenty, but we really want to get back to comfort. Again, the challenge is a great opportunity to move forward. So do you see us how this is going to move forward? How can rheumatologists be more engaged with Zoom and be zoomatologists
1: or more engaged with telemedicine in the future? Yeah, I can tell you where the future is going to be. Uh, it's going to be moving in not only telemedicine, but doing something what's called chronic care management. Uh, so I was kind of blown away when I'm working with the teams now to look at chronic care management, that they have codes that have been available for since 2015. And that essentially is a program where a patient can interact with you once a month between 20 and 40 minutes. And all that will be reimbursed by insurance and being reimbursed by Medicare. And speaking of reimbursement, people say, well, no, the reimbursement has gone down. This year, they've increased the chronic care management codes by 50%. They've gone up on those because Medicare sees the need for that. So all of those messages you're doing at the end of the day for free, you can get reimbursed for that. Or those patients who need their touchy-feely, they want to connect with you. Hey, I just had a question. Oh, my doctor wants to uh, do surgery on my knee. Is that okay with you and my drugs? So they want to run everything by that because we're seeing them three or four times a year, and we become their go-to person for their medical advice, whether that's on COVID-19 or a new medication or surgery. So these chronic care management codes, I think, is going to really kind of push us in. So we're using that now. We're looking at adopting that. We're doing a clinical study to see what the patient satisfaction would be, what the provider satisfaction would be, and again, developing an application with the company that's going to help us to do that very, very timely. So the the jury's going to be still out on that. But I think the overall, what people say, well, are the codes and everything going to go down? No. The reimbursement is going to go up, and you're going to see the future continue to move in this direction. What do you think about using
0: telemedicine uh, for teleconsultation, meaning... Either, you know, I'm sending my patient with a rare primary CS angiitis to, to Lenny Calabrese at Cleveland Clinic. You know, he's already set up to do teleconsultations right. that way, or even peer-to-peer teleconsultations. What, what, right.
1: what do you know about that? I have to give you a quick anecdote. So I saw a young lady uh, for a patient of my 30 years old, or whatever, and asked about a family. She said, I have a son. I said, well, how's he doing? Well, he having these seizures. And she said, you know, this cure is the only thing that breaks his seizures is prednisone, steroids. I said, wow, that sounds more inflammatory. I said, I'll be happy to take a look at him. The young boy came in. I kind of talked in a little I say, hey, why don't we try as a steroid sparing agent? Why don't we give the kid some methotrexate? And guess what, Jack? His seizures got under control. So he had a visit coming up with his neurologist. And I said, hey, the visit gonna be at two o'clock on November 9th. Let's make a pr- appointment with all three of us. So with the neurologist and the patient and with me. So they were down in, in Chicago with the neurologist, and they got onto me at the same time. I was able to do, do my diagnosis and build for my time and the neurologist as well. And so we extended that now to for my e-consults. I've been with Aurora now for two years. I haven't been into the the hospital at all. I get a a hospitalist on the line. They got the patient in the room. I said, show me that joint exam. There's a knee swollen or whatever. I order some labs in Epic, and then we get back with them as well. So these e-consults, they've been done in neurology now for stroke. The cardiologists use as they can uh, telemetry. They're doing things to look at heart scans and and things like this. We need to do the same in rheumatology. And again, you can do that stuff. But that example with the neurologist and the nine-year-old boy is an example that we're trying to move forward with the rest of my department. Yeah, what rheumatologists aren't doing anymore, the hospital consult,
0: this could be another solution. And of course, the problem is it's not time efficient, not cost efficient. This could make it both of those things. Other examples where telehealth visits make sense, post-surgery, during pregnancy, just discharged from the hospital and can't yet come in. You know, there's major gaps in
1: especially our involvement in patient care there. And I think it's the same thing. Let's use COVID again as an example. I got a patient to call me yesterday. Hey, I've just had COVID now. I'm, I'm, my psoriasis is flaring. My arthritis is getting worse. What do you need to do? You know, they're still on the quarantine. I said, hey, let's talk about this. And we got connected with them and came up with the protocol for them as well. So I agree with you. We do it all the time just before surgery. I, hey, let's order a couple of labs. Let me get you on the phone. I'll get you on the video. Let's talk about how to taper off your medication when you hold things and more importantly, when you restart that. And it's good to see that instead of just reading something on the paper, having that visual of me, looking me into the eye, whether on a video or hearing my voice on the phone, I think that goes a lot further.
0: You know, the movie Field of Dreams was about if you build it, <laughs> they will come. Yeah, Sort of a line for tomfoolery. But we learned that if learned. you build it, they will come. It's true. Telemedicine will work and it, it, it does reimburse and it's good for patient care.
1: Who shouldn't be seen in telemedicine? I almost say there's no patient who shouldn't be seen. But here's the thing. Like I said, you can use it almost more like triage. There's some people I've seen by telemedicine. And I'll say, no, you need to come in sooner rather than later. Because I got a lot of people, they got a positive ANA. They got back pain for seven years. Guess what? Let me order a couple labs, make sure you don't have anything I need to worry about. I might see you next year just to check in. Or somebody else comes in and says, it's 85, or CRP is 10, I'm gonna say, no, you got some stuff going on. I need to see you next week so we can talk about this. Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. So everybody can do that, but some people need to be seen sooner rather than later. And I tell doctors, don't waste the time just reviewing the records. Okay, I've done this. Nope, I don't wanna see them. You just wasted 10 minutes of your time. You could have done all that remotely.
0: So my plea to rheumatologists is this is about making you a better doc, which allows you to actually make better patients because you can really connect with them on many levels. If you wanna stay old school, you're you're gonna get what you got in the past and not move forward. Alan, you get the last word.
1: That's what I was gonna say, Jack. I think the future is already here. And I think in the last three years, the way we're practicing medicine now is definitely gonna change. And I'm thinking people, it's not gonna be a 70, 80 years old. It's gonna be the 20, 30, 40 year old patients who are familiar with these devices. They wanna connect. They want something in real time. I go on the Amazon, I can order something and say two days for prime. Sometimes I get it the next day. And that's what they want from their rheumatoid. I got joint pain. I got rash. I got eye disease. I want to get better today and not wait eight to 12 weeks. And that's why telemedicine gets two thumbs up. Did You didn't hear the news yet. Did you? I work for Jeff Bezos. Oh, really?
0: Oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Someday it's going to happen, I guess. I don't know. I know. Thanks, all... Alvin. It's great to, great to talk to you. Thank you. All right, folks. Enjoy. Right, take care.
1: All right. Bye-bye. While there is great hope that an understanding of biomarkers will benefit rheumatoid arthritis patient management, there are but a few biomarkers shown to be both diagnostic and prognostic. Researchers have suggested that RA patients who test positive for specific autoantibodies may express higher disease activity, which could impact treatment strategies, but most practitioners generally use these results only for diagnostic purposes. Bristol-Myers Squibb is investigating treatment outcomes in a unique patient population, patients who tested positive for these antibodies, which together are associated with higher disease activity. Rheumatologists may want to consider these biomarker-driven results when considering treatment options. To learn more, please visit rabiomarkers.com.